In the days and the weeks and the months after the death of our 16-year-old son, Mark, uh, we talked a lot about heaven. My husband and my children and their close friends, we wondered what Mark was doing. We wondered what waited for us. And our grief was so deep that we wished that Jesus would just come back that day. We could not wait until we were also in heaven with the Lord. My name is Sharon Betters, and you are listening to a Help and Hope resource produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And I am so excited today that I'm going to have a conversation with Elise Fitzpatrick, who has shared her own feelings about heaven in her book called Home. Elise is a trained counselor. She is a sought after national speaker, and she's a prolific writer. So at the time of this recording, she has written 23 books, and I know that she has another one coming out very soon. Um, So it's such a privilege to have her here today for us to be able to talk about heaven as our home and heaven as a source of great comfort when people are hurting. So Elise, thank you so much for giving us your time. Welcome. Thank you so much, Sharon. It's really great to be with you. Elise, before we jump into our topic, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life right now? I am married. I have been married for, this is our 46th year of marriage, which I like to say proves that there is a God. (laughs) So I am married to Phil. Phil and I met in Bible college. Phil was raised in the church. I was not. So that was an interesting beginning of our relationship. And Phil and I have three children, one of whom I brought into the marriage, having gotten saved after he was born. So I have three children, James, Jessica, and Joel. James and Jessica and Joel are all married and have kids, so I have six grandchildren. And as you know, Jessica is a writer and a speaker. And our son, Joel, is an ordained pastor in the PCA. And our son, James, is married and has a construction company. So we're happy to live very close to all of them. It's an amazing blessing that we all live so close. Part of that, I think, has to do with the fact that we live in San Diego, so nobody wants to move. It's interesting as I listen to you share your story of the similarities that um, I'm picking up on. Chuck and I have just celebrated our 50th anniversary. He was a brand new Christian when we got married. I was raised in the church. We have four children. We have 14 grandchildren, but I'm thinking about you with your three J's and how many times did you go through each one before you got to the right name? Because I do that with our grandkids right now. And I finally say, well, you know who you are. (laughs) The older I get, the worse it gets. So, um, yes, it's so much fun to have them living close by, too. It's very exciting. So let's uh, start talking about heaven. And you start out in your book sharing that you went through some pretty painful times that you didn't expect to go through. And that really is what put you on the search to heaven and how heaven is a comfort to us in those broken places. Can can you share that with us? I went through uh, several times of difficulty, sort of all in in a cluster. And one of them, of course, had to do with the dying of my mother and father in law. She was a 
wonderful, wonderful Christian woman. As, as uh, he was a wonderful Christian man as well. She was a woman who, uh, at the age of 50, moved from San Diego to McAllen, Texas, so she could learn Spanish better. So she could go down <laughs> into uh, Tijuana and share her testimony. So that's the kind of woman she was. And during the last six months or so of her life, she fell into a really terrible dementia. And that dementia uh, eventuated in her being terrified and angry all the time. And that was so hard for our family because she was always the most gracious, kind woman. And I kept asking, okay, Lord, really? <laughs> you know how we ask that question, really? Is, is, this, is this what we do? Is this how you treat a woman like this? I mean, I know that's, I understand all the ramifications of that, but it was so sad. And honestly, uh, the thing that really helped me at that point was I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller. And he said, if you knew what God knew and loved like God loves, you would know that what's going on is necessary. And as hard as that is, it really was a help to me. So the Lord took her home. And then six weeks later, of course, her husband followed her because that's how they had lived their lives for 65 years or something like that together. So there was that, and that was very difficult. And then also during that time, I went through a season of losing relationships in the church. And some of it was due to my own folly and stupidity. And some of it was just out of my control, things that happened. And so I, I really felt like I had lost a, a lot of who I was as a Christian woman trying to speak into the church and the culture. So it really set me on a trajectory of trying to put my finger on what it was I was feeling aside from the sorrows and this sort of longing. What was this longing that I had in my heart? That's how I got to writing the book home, which Sharon, I'm sure you know, I, writers only write books that they need. So, <laughs> so that's, what, that's what I did. Well, I appreciate you following that need and using your gifts to communicate what you learned. Because as I was reading it, I was just in a, like a funky place in my life. And I, I couldn't pinpoint, I mean, a lot of things are happening in my life changes. I'm 71. And so it's a new season and lots of changes. Anybody who's 71 knows what I'm talking about. So that I, you know, anybody looking at me would probably say, well, you have a reason to feel funky, but I, I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't feel disappointed with the Lord or anything like that, but there was something uneasy in me, a restlessness. And yes. your book really helped me to pinpoint it. So why don't you tell us about that? You talk about a homesickness. What do you mean by that? For me, it's easy to think about maybe going on a missions trip. So you're excited to go on the missions trip. You learn a little bit about the place where you're going to go. You're happy to go there. But maybe if the missions trip is going to be the whole summer or something, after you're there for a little while, you're, you're happy to be there. And you know that what you're doing is good and right. 
But what you really want to do is go home. Home is the place where, you know, you just, you feel like this is where you belong. This is where, you know, your bed is. I'm sure you recognize <laughs> your pillow, your bed, your shower, <laughs> you know, your kitchen, your friends. This is, this is the place where you are planted and really long for. And homesickness wasn't really identified at all until around the time of the Civil War. People hadn't actually talked about something like this, like homesickness before. But I think that that's what I was feeling and perhaps you were feeling also at the same time, which was, I'm in some ways, I'm happy to be here. I'm glad that I've got the life that I have. I am thankful for it. And then on the other hand, it's like, mm, this is great, but it's not really it. This isn't the place I was created to be. And yes, the Lord has put me here. And yes, he's given me many wonderful blessings, but this is not home. And the sooner that I realize that, the better off I'll be. I like to say those hard places in life remind me that I don't belong here that there's something better coming. So how do you think a better understanding of heaven? Because I think, you know, with, we, when we think about heaven, we say, yeah, we want to go there. Yeah, there's going to be a reunion. But we really don't have a, a, an in-depth understanding of where we're going. I mean, like you mentioned about the missions trip, that you find out about it, you learn about the country where you're going. But a lot of us don't do that. And so I'm, how do you think that a better understanding of heaven would be a comfort for those who are in desperate need of hope. I agree that, you know, considering the fact that we're going to spend eternity in heaven, so many of us know so very little about it. And it's really, it's really sad for us. And it's also, um, it, it also has a lot then to do to bring to bear on the way that we live our lives here. So let me just let me just give a very quick sort of overview of what we should be thinking when we think about heaven. First of all, if we die before the Lord's return, when we die, we go to a place that Jesus referred to as paradise. And we don't talk a lot about paradise. We talk more just sort of generally about heaven, but we will go to a place called paradise. We will be disembodied which will not be our permanent place. And we will basically rest in the arms of Jesus in this beautiful paradise. So my mother and father-in-law, uh, all of those whom I love, um, they're resting now. But they're not like sleeping and unconscious. Uh, they, are, they are resting in pure joy and peace. But that's, that's an intermediate state. Are they able to know what's going on here on earth? Um, perhaps. I don't know that for sure. Then that's the, that's the next sort of stage that we're going to go to. But then when the Lord returns, when he and he is now in his resurrection body, he's still embodied, when he returns, to earth, we will have resurrection bodies. And so from 
I think we can say it this way. From the, our DNA, which will still be here on this earth, we, we will draw from that glorified, purified DNA, and our bodies will be remade. At the same time, the Lord Jesus will refashion the heavens and the earth. And so what was here, I don't think is going to be completely obliterated, but it's going to be reshaped to become the heavens and the earth that it should be, should have been before the fall. So then you and I, Sharon, will have resurrection bodies, which will be like us, but not like us. <laughs> so. <clears throat> Uh, at some points after Jesus' resurrection, he was uh, recognized, uh, but he also did things like walk through walls. The resurrection body that we're going to have, the way I think of it, this morning I ate a peach, and it was a wonderful peach. I think it was one of the last ones of the seasons I'm going to get. And inside the peach was, of course, the pit, the stone. You take that pit and you put it into the ground. Something will grow out of it that is like it, but not like it. Our, that's what our bodies are like. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that our bodies are going to be sown into the ground like a seed. And from that seed will grow something like it, but not exactly like it. Now, will I recognize you or my mother and father-in-law or others who have died? Uh, yes, we will recognize each other, but we'll be glorious and different. And imagine <laughs> what it will be like to have bodies that actually work the way they're supposed to work. And uh, we won't need to wear glasses anymore. We won't moan when we get up and we'll be able to sleep in complete peace, deep, beautiful, joyous sleep, and wake up completely refreshed. So we're not going to be infinite beings anymore. I think sometimes we think about heaven and it's like we're going to be floating around in the cosmos or something. No, we're actually going to have bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's going to be way more fun, <laughs> way more glorious than um, just sort of floating around in a worship service for eternity. As I'm listening to you talk, I'm remembering when I was a teenager and I would hear messages about heaven and I think, well, I do want to go, but I'm not really ready yet because there's so much I want to do before then. And I think about the comparison to, I mean, like the, the hymns and the songs that came out of the Civil War era, the songs the slaves sang, like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Yeah. And you compare that to Americans today who they're not thinking about that chariot coming. Why, why do you think that is? What is the challenge for us in America in, in particular to have a transformed way of thinking about heaven? Well, we live in a place that's really quite pleasant. I mean, you know, I, yes, we, we all go through times of suffering. But my guess is if I'm living in the Sudan, or if I'm a Coptic Christian in the Middle East, I'm not at all confused about this life and the life to come in the sense that, you know, sort of wishing I could hang on to this life. I'm not going to be wishing I would hang on to this life if I was a Coptic Christian 
perhaps facing being the head, beheaded, uh, I'm going to be thinking about the life to come. So in a way, Sharon, we've had so many wonderful blessings living here, as we do 21st century America. I mean, the mere thought as women that the mortality rate of women who give birth has gone down so much in the last hundred years. We have antibiotics. I mean, the mere fact that we would be surprised if a friend of ours died in childbirth, they weren't surprised about that. In the Greco-Roman world, women died in childbirth and children weren't even named until they had lived eight days because it was so common for infants to die uh, and for mothers to die in childbirth. So for us, we again live in a world where death for us, suffering for us, is something that happens out there. You see even how I talked about it. It's something that happens in the Middle East with those other people, not here. Well, of course it happens here, but not with the same frequency or expectancy that the writers of the New Testament and the writers of all of Scripture were aware of. And just listening to you talk about the suffering of previous generations and the suffering of people around the world. And then I think of how we often consider heaven as, you know, we're going to be having angels waving their palms, waving fans, and we're going to be eating grapes. And, <laughs> and a lot of people are saying, that's, not, that's boring. Why would I want to go there? Okay, I want to be reunited with Jesus, but why, you know, why would, what is there that's so enticing about heaven that I would have a longing, a homesickness uh, for heaven? And so I, in your book, you talked about there's a biblical perspective that's much bigger than what we imagine heaven to be. And why is it important for us to have that perspective? And how does that perspective give us um, a more of a longing? for the promises of fulfillment of God's presence, his eternal presence, and the new heaven and the new earth. So C.S. Lewis says that we need to see that the world to come will be more and not less. And I think, Sharon, that that's the picture that a lot of Christians have, or even in the popular culture, about what heaven is. It's like I'm floating on a cloud, strumming a harp. Do I even have a body? Who knows? Uh, and, you know, we're all running around, sort of flying around, zipping here and there. Uh, and, and, in this, and in this eternity long worship service, I'm with you <laughs> in the sense that I, I love being in church. I love being in a worship service. But if you're going to tell me that that's what I'm going to do for eternity, um, that may or may not float my boat. <laughs> So let's try to think about heaven in a, in a different way. One of the things that Lewis talks about is he gives this little story of a woman, a poor woman who has, who has been thrown into a dungeon. She's pregnant and she's an artist and she has with her pencils and some paper. And so her baby is born and she tries to sketch pictures of what the outside world looks like so that in the hopes that at some point he will be set free. And they can't see outside at all. 
All they have is one small little window up at the top that all he can see is sky. And as they're talking one day, Lewis says, it comes to her understanding that he thinks, the little boy thinks, that everything outside the dungeon is outlined with a pencil. And it's all flat and black and white. And she said, oh, no, there's, there's no pencil lines. It's much more than that. And he, he's sad because he thinks that what he's going to have outside the dungeon will be less than the pencil lines. All right, you get the point. Lewis says that what we have here is basically pencil lines on, on, on a white sheet of paper in comparison to the color and the beauty and the glory and the movement even of the world to come. So here's a for instance. Imagine, Sharon, that you and I and some friends are sitting around on the grass, and you can't even imagine how wonderful this grass is in the New Jerusalem because it's this gorgeous color we can't see because our color receptors in our eyes right now don't function the way they should. So there's lots more colors than we can actually see. So we're sitting on this grass, and maybe it's this color of green you just can't even imagine. And we're all talking, and we're talking about Jesus and how marvelous he is and how he saved us. And maybe I'm hearing your story or the story of someone uh, uh, 5,000 years from now, the story of someone who's come to know the Lord, and up walks the Lord, and he's embodied. We know it's him because he's the only one there with scars. And we say, Lord, (laughs) we were just talking about you. And he says, I was thinking about you. Let's have lunch. And he sits down and he's brought with him the most glorious food and drink that you've ever tasted. And we sit down and talk with him. With each other, with him, we learn. And then, he, and then he says, let me tell you how I spoke those stars into existence. And he'll tell us about it. And we'll learn. And then he'll say, and the whole time I was doing that, I was thinking about you and how much I love you. Okay, that, That's a little bit. And, and from that, we'll worship, which is why you always see worship happening in heaven but that's not because you know it's here on earth we have to schedule worship times right there we won't schedule worship times i mean maybe there'll be some time when we'll say you know i heard that bach is performing up at the new jerusalem let's go up and worship and we will but every day all day will be beautiful worship because we'll see things as they actually are. And maybe you and I will be sitting around and um, we'll hear that Tolkien is giving a class on imagination up in the New Jerusalem. So we'll walk over there and uh, we'll listen to him. And it'll be so great because you know how every time you walk into a classroom, you sort of wonder, will there be room for me Will I be able to understand this? 
I only have this amount of time. I, I, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to grasp these concepts. Time will be no more. So if you want to go take a class from a theoretical physicist or an astronomer or a mathematician or, or you want to talk to Perpetua, who was martyred for her faith, you don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to have time to do that or really get to know her. And the other really great thing is, you know how when you have conversations with people and you sort of wonder, am I talking too much? Does she understand what I'm talking about? Does she like me? Do I have bad breath? That kind of stuff, that'll all be gone. You see, the new earth, the new heavens and the new earth will be exactly what it was meant to be. So all of the learning, which I love to learn, but all of the learning that I've wanted to do, tried to do, can't get my brain around, I'll be able to do there. I'll be able to learn and work. I mean, how wonderful is work when it's, how, I'm going to rephrase that. How wonderful would work be if it wasn't cursed? <laughs> so that, and then maybe I'll say, I've always wanted to see what the nebulas look like. I think I'll go. And I'll go. And who knows who will go with me? Maybe Galileo. <laughs> and we'll have a great time. And the whole time, yeah, we will be worshiping. But it won't be a worship service in a church where it's turned to page 385. It'll be spontaneous and joyous and glorious the way it should be. That, that I'm looking forward to. I feel like what you're describing is really what we strive here on earth as believers is to walk by faith in response to grace. And here, sometimes it's really hard because we are in a broken world and it isn't the way God created it. But what you're describing about heaven, it sounds like it just will come. It will, there will be no effort in displaying the loveliness of Jesus. Think about, uh, I loved listening to you um, with, you know, describing your imagination of what heaven is going to be like. And I think about that scripture where it says, uh, your eyes haven't seen, your ears haven't heard what I'm preparing for you. And I feel that gives us permission to imagine what it is that God is preparing for us and what a beautiful picture you have painted right now. Elise, as we wrap up our time together, I'm thinking about that person who's listening who is really desperate for hope. Maybe somebody like me, like I was after the death of our son, hanging on to life by my fingernails, longing for someone to help me get through the next day, maybe the next hour. Would you speak to that person one-on-one -on -one and just give them some encouragement that you have found in your deeper understanding of heaven. It's my joy to speak to whomever it might be who really needs a word of hope today. First of all, what I want to say is our hope is not based on a sort of I hope so kind of thought. Our hope is not even based on some story that someone has told. Our hope is based on the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was dead. And I mean, like dead, dead, not just like mostly dead, like in Princess Bride, but dead, dead. He was dead and in the tomb for three days. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised from the dead and he was seen by hundreds of people who weren't living a pipe dream. They believed what they saw. He said, do you have any fish? (laughs) Can we eat? See, why is that important? It's important for us because the only hope that Christian has is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was who he said he was, and he came back from the dead to prove it. And he came back from the dead in a body, in a physical body. So the person today who's thinking, I'm living this bad dream. I can't even believe this is my life, this bad dream. The days to come, in the days to come, the bad dream will be over. How do we know? We know because Jesus Christ promised that though we die, yet we shall live. And we will be raised in incorruptible bodies to live, so shall we ever be with the Lord, with those whom we love and have lost, in bodies that are no longer in pain, in bodies that function the way they should, and listen, and with relationships that perhaps here have been blown apart by sin, to be able to look at someone that has sinned against you or you have sinned against and to know that Jesus Christ has made it untrue. He's made it beautiful. He's forgiven you and I and people who have sinned against us. So Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. How do I know? Why am I staking my life on those words? Because he rose from the dead. And then people died in service of that. They saw him, they believed him, and they gave their life for it. Elise, thank you so much for sharing from your heart, your passion for Jesus, and your passion for uh, sharing that message of hope and help and forgiveness. And if you're listening and you are intrigued by what you've heard, but you don't know Jesus, you don't know who he is, you don't understand when we talk about a relationship with Jesus, please get in touch with us at markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. Send us a message and we would count it a privilege to help you know the Jesus that we love and that we serve. I'm Sharon Betters, and you have been listening to my conversation with Elise Fitzpatrick. And we've been talking especially about her, uh, the message of her book, Home, how the how heaven and the new earth satisfy our deepest longings. And I hope that what you have heard has been an encouragement to you and will help you to walk by faith no matter what your circumstances are. You can learn more about Elise on our website at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. We'll have her website there and 
I'll link you to this book. We also have hundreds of free resources that are designed to offer help and hope, especially to hurting people. And we would love to hear from you. If you have been encouraged by what you've heard, please let us know. I know it would encourage Elise. I know that it would encourage our team to know that God is using these stories to help turn your heart toward Him. So that's markinc.org, markinc.org. Please go visit, browse our other resources, and let us know how we can help you. Thank you for listening.